Well, we are going to be in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles, uh, you can also find that printed in your text. Uh, It is very good to be back this morning. Um, I don't know how to take it that 20 of our women left the first Sunday I came back, but um, are are away. Some of you heard that um, I was away because of health concerns. That's actually not true. Uh, I was working on a new weight loss book. It's uh, called The Kidney Stone and Narcotic Diet. Um, I'm still waiting for FBI approval on that. We'll see how that goes. Uh, But I appreciate everybody's patience while I was away. It was not an enjoyable time away. Uh, But I appreciate your prayers and your texts and and calls and that sort of thing. I did lose weight. Some of you have pointed out I was actually trying to lose weight. A couple of years ago, for motivation for weight loss, I actually decided I'm not buying any more jeans in my current size. And I actually went out and bought stuff a size lower. And I said, I am going to wear these jeans until they fall off unless I lose that weight. And they started falling. Like I was losing my billfold everywhere because the pockets were falling off my jeans. And Susan's just looking at me like, would you just buy some? No, I am going to wait till I get down. And so I made it finally. It took a kidney stone, but I made it. So (laughs) thank you. Thank you very much. Not sure. Um, But there's a point I actually want to make from that, and it's this. When when I was larger, I could look at these smaller jeans all I wanted to, and I would not fit in them because they did not fit who I was. Now that I've lost the weight, I look back at these other jeans, and they don't fit anymore because they, they don't fit who I am now. They don't match up with who I am. It's the same thing if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, there are now certain clothes, certain attitudes, certain lifestyles, certain morals that that no longer fit who you are. Uh, As we'll see in the text we're going to read in a moment, some of those that Paul mentions are sexual immorality and unrighteous anger and lying. He's like, "These, these clothes don't fit who you are any longer. The clothes that fits you are humility and kindness and patience. And those are the clothes you need to dress yourselves in now. But we still got the old clothes in the closet, right? They're, they're still there. And we still find ourselves kind of going into the closet and looking at those clothes and thinking about wearing them and sometimes even putting them on and dressing inappropriately for who we are. Because they don't fit anymore. Because of who we are now in Christ. So the, the question we want to try to wrestle with this morning is, so we've got these clothes that, that we shouldn't want to wear any longer. How do we get to the point where we can just leave them in the closet? Or better yet, how do we get to the point where we can take them out of the closet and take them to the thrift store and be done with them forever? All right, so that's the, the question we're going to think about from this text. Uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 17 And I'm going to read this whole thing, but we're going to be focusing uh, on the first probably 10 or 11 verses this morning. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let me pray for us. Father, we do uh, pray now that you would meet with us and that you would instruct us, uh, that you would work through me and even in spite of me. Uh, to show us Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. So, three kind of big points this morning. Uh, we still got these clothes in the closet. We need to quit wearing these clothes. And then we need to actually learn to get rid of these clothes. So, first of all, we, we've still got these clothes in the closet. Um, in other words, we still sin. One of the things that, that often distresses young believers you know, when they first come to Christ is... When they find themselves doing the same things again that they thought they were done with now. And they're like, wait, I'm a Christian now. Why am I still struggling? Why am I still sinning? And the reason for this ongoing struggle with sin is that while sin has been removed from the throne, so to speak, uh, it has not left the battlefield. It's kind of like an army that's been kicked out of the capital city of the country, but now it's waging guerrilla warfare in the surrounding countryside and so we still have to do battle with these remnants of sin the sin nature in our life you can see in this text that paul recognizes this truth because he instructs us to do battle with sin he tells christians in verse 5 to put to death what is earthly in you and then down in verse 8 he tells us to put off anger in verse 9 he tells us don't don't lie to each other now, if, if sin was no longer a problem for Christians, he wouldn't have to tell us this. If sin had left the building, he wouldn't have to say anything about it. But it's still around, and so he has to instruct us to fight against sin. Now, most of us who have been Christians for any length of time would acknowledge that this is, this is an obvious truth to us. Uh, we would probably be even be quick to say, yes, I'm a sinner. And we have, we have no problem acknowledging that fact. But we tend to acknowledge that very generally. It's, it's a little bit harder for us to acknowledge sin particularly. Okay? Um, think about it. When was the last time you confessed not just to being a sinner, broadly speaking, but to going to someone and confessing a particular thing that you had done wrongly to them. Like, 
We have a hard time doing that in private, much less think about doing that publicly. I mean, imagine if we had a prayer meeting or if uh, at one of our community groups uh, that someone stood up and said, please pray for me, I'm, I'm really struggling with impure thoughts. Or I've really been drinking too much lately. Or I really, I, my kids, I, I can't handle them right now. All right, how, how would we react to that? Like, part of us might be glad and part of us would be like, I don't, like we don't need all of this sharing. You're making me uncomfortable. We have, a, we have a hard time confessing particular sins. Uh, Flannery O'Connor, and I, I tell you guys, I use this quote like four times a year because I love it so much. Uh, she says of one of her characters in her short story, Wise Blood, that he had a deep black world, wordless conviction in him that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. That the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. Because see, when, when we start confessing particular sins, like I really have to need Jesus at that moment, right? Because I'm going to lose my sense of righteousness before you. Because I've just admitted that I don't have it all together. And I'm very much worried about how you're not going to think about me. And so in the midst of confessing sin, I really have to believe the gospel. And I really have to believe that I have righteousness covering my sins that comes not from me, but that comes from Jesus Christ. Uh, In fact, I think one of the signs that you're starting to really get the gospel is when you start to confess particular sins. When it's not just kind of this, yes, yes, I'm a sinner, whatever. That you start to own particular sins. Now, what are some of the ones that Paul mentions here to us in this text? What are some of the ones we struggle with? In verse 5, he mentions sexual sin. Uh, now, talk about a sin that, that everybody struggles with um, that we, like, we're really uncomfortable talking about. The statistics are just overwhelming that uh, men and women are, are wrestling with sexual sin, especially online. But a lot of times the church, it doesn't feel like a very safe place to talk about those things. Verse 5, Paul mentions coveting. Some of your translations may say greed, but you know... This is America, and our whole economy is kind of fueled by covenanting, right? So we don't we don't want to we don't want to talk about that too much. And then verse eight, Paul talks about sins of the tongue. But are those really that big a deal? I mean, like in the church, as long as you don't cuss, you can kind of say whatever you want to say uh, about somebody else, as long as you say it in a very concerned tone of voice, right? Bless bless their heart, right? That, that, that's how we do this. So we've got one sin that we don't talk about because it's too uncomfortable. And then two other sins that we don't talk about because they're not really that big a deal. Are they coveting? And what I say, that's the, we're still sinners. We're still sinners. Uh, when was the last time you confessed a sin to maybe your spouse or to your kids or to your parents other than to confess being grumpy? And then, you know, even when we confess that, we qualify it by saying, well, I was hangry, right? Like I just hadn't had anything to eat. So, that, so we immediately excuse it. Uh, when, when was the last time you confessed not just to being a sinner, but particular sins? All right, second thing. Because sin is still around and we know that, some of, sometimes we use that as an excuse to say, well, it, it's just kind of going to be like that. You know, there's not that much I can do about it. It's kind of like you got that bad knee that you've had for 15 years. It's like, I just... I just kind of learned to live with it, I'm, I, and, and there's nothing much I can do about it. But Paul says, you, you've got to learn to quit dressing in these clothes. Um, in verse 6, he reminds us, believers, that the wrath of God is coming 
because of our particular sins. He exhorts us to put it to death and to put it off. Uh, John Owen, uh, one of his famous lines is uh, that we need to be killing sin or it will be killing us. Be killing sin or it will be killing you, was the way he said it. Do you believe that? Like, do, do you... Like, do you really believe that, like, the besetting sins in your life, that they're that big a deal? That, that I really need to take them so seriously that I need to be trying to kill them before they kill me and before they make a wreck of me? Um, the church does need to be a place where people can come and be honest about sin. And we want that here. I mean, we named the place Grace Presbyterian Church because we want you to know there's grace for sinners where you can come and be honest about the junkness in your life and honest about the things that you continue to struggle with this is this is not a place for for perfect people or anywhere close to perfect people but we also have to warn people that you know you you do reap what you sow. there are consequences to our actions and dwelling on those evil desires and indulging those passions and speaking hatefully those things have consequences in our lives. And so we have to be killing sin lest it be killing us. This this place ought to be a hospital and a physical therapy center and restorative care all in one. It's not a place for us to kind of unload our sin or just to feel better because we're doing the church thing, but it's a place for us to come and and get well spiritually. Um, Think about a garden. I know we all grew up on farms, right? So this connects with you. Um, but but like, like a garden, you, you, you go and you plow a garden, and then you plant your vegetables, and you fertilize it, and then you wait for stuff to come up. But what starts coming up along with your vegetables? Or, or weeds start coming up. And so you have, to, you have to hoe those weeds out, or else they're going to choke your vegetables out, and they're not going to bear any fruit. And you can look at somebody's garden and tell how serious they are about it. Like if we did a summer tour of the gardens of Spartanburg County, we can do this as a church trip. And we, we go and look at everybody's garden. You can look at one and say, that, they're pretty serious about that. And you look at another one, like, ah, they're a little bit behind. You look at another one, like, they must have five kids that are under six because they don't have time for a garden, really. And some of you know how that feels. And then you look at other gardens and you're just like, I don't know that they really intended that to be a garden at all. I don't, I don't know what they have going on there. You get the idea. The, the, the way you tend the garden of your soul says something about what your spiritual intentions really are. If you're not killing the weeds in the garden of your soul, they will be killing you. They will be choking out fruit in your life. And so Paul says, we've got to quit dressing in these clothes. Now thirdly, we need to learn not just to quit dressing in these clothes, but start figuring out how in the world can I get these clothes just out of the closet. And another way to say this might be, how do we deal with the root of the sin and not just the fruit of the sin? Uh, verse 5 here is, is interesting because commentators think that Paul's thought here is progressing from external actions to internal heart attitudes. Sexual immorality evil deeds. Impurity, those are evil thoughts. Passion and evil desires, those are more about attitudes of the heart. And then he says something about covetousness. Covetousness, which you're like, well, how does that fit in this list? 
Uh, Francis Schaeffer once said, when does desire become coveting when it fails to include love of God or man? How can I tell when I'm coveting? I'm to love God enough to be contented. I'm to love man enough not to envy. I'm to love God enough to be contented and man enough not to envy. And if I'm not doing those things, I'm, I'm actually coveting. Uh, Tim Keller has this great line about this. He says, wanting is when you're the dog and the want is the tail. Coveting is when the want is the dog and you're the tail. When the want wags you, when it has you, when the want is in charge, then you're coveting. The command not to covet, that's like, it's all about our hearts, right? It's, you can't like label that externally. It's all about our hearts. Uh, there was a Roman Catholic priest who heard confessions for 50 years, and he said in that whole time, nobody ever came in and confessed this sin to me. Nobody ever came in and confessed his struggle with coveting. But the reality is we break this all the time. In fact, when you break any of the other nine commandments, you're also breaking the tenth commandment. Think about it. Why do you lie? Why do we lie? Because we covet what can be gained through lying. Why do we steal? We desire something and take it. The same with adultery. There's something we covet and we take it for ourselves. Why don't we keep the Sabbath? Because we covet time for our own usage. I mean, think about it. When, when we break the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. What are we doing? We're, we're putting something before God. When we break the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet, what are we doing? We're again putting something before God. Uh, somebody said that the tenth commandment is simply the first commandment restated in psychological terms, which ties in with what Paul says here because he says, put to death covetousness, which is idolatry. Put to death covetousness, which is idolatry. See, at the end of the day, and we're, we're working our way down to the root here, our sin problem is a worship problem. Our sin problem is, a, is an idolatry problem. And the idols aren't out there so much as they're actually in here. This is how Ed Welch put it. He said, idolatry includes anything on which we set our affections and indulge as an excessive and sinful attachment. Therefore, the idols we see, such as a bottle, are certainly not the whole problem. Idolatry includes anything we worship. The lust for pleasure, respect, love, power, control, or freedom from pain. Furthermore, the problem is not outside of us, located in a liquor store or on the internet. The problem is within us. Now, do we want to put to death like the bad fruit, so to speak? All right, the, the external sins. Yes, we want to do that. Uh, Paul tells us to avoid sexual immorality. And what do we do if, if someone comes to us and, and says they're struggling with sexual immorality or they're struggling on the internet? Well, we might say things like, well, you, you need to get an internet filter. You need to get an accountability partner. Or maybe you just need to get rid of it entirely. Okay? And those are, all, those are all good things to do. And parents, you should be doing those things with your children. You should, your, your kids should not have access to unfiltered internet. Like, you're just, you're, you're crazy if they do. Um, but that doesn't get to the real heart of the problem, right? Like, we're just kind of, when we're dealing with sin at that level, we're just dealing uh, with, with the fruit. We're dealing with 
images and, and the sources of temptation, but we haven't gotten down to the root of the problem, the idol of the heart that's driving that sin to begin with. Uh, did y'all hear this story a week or two ago? There was this lady who, she was on some, I think it was a ranch out west, but it was like an old ranch and there's maybe just one cow there. And while she was there, her eye starts itching really badly. And then she goes home and her, her eyes are just driving her crazy. And she's rubbing it one day and like she finds a worm on her finger. Okay? And she rubs it again. I'm not making this up. She rubs it again and she finds another worm on her finger. And evidently what had happened is, and this is really rare, so don't worry about this hypochondriac. It's like you have a better chance of being struck by lightning while you're being eaten by a shark than is happening. Um, so, but, but, but this did happen to this lady. If a fly landed on a cow which was carrying some, I don't know, bacteria, disease, larva thing, and then it landed on her eye and it infected her eye. And it was just reproducing worms in her eye. And she could rub her eye all day and pull those worms out. And she's going to keep pulling them out. Like they're just going to keep coming. Unless she went to a doctor who finally figured out what it was and treated an underlying disease. Okay? Dealing with symptoms of sin is fine. And external manifestations of sin is fine as far as it goes. But it doesn't really deal with the heart problem. So how, how do we get down to that? Well, let's ask the question, why do we worship idols in the first place? Why do we worship idols in the first place? We worship idols because we're looking for meaning and hope and significance and deliverance apart from God. Uh, In fact, we're really trying to use idols. We're trying to manipulate them to give us what we want. We don't don't go into it wanting to be ruled by them. We just want them to give us what they want. No one who sins sexually wants to be addicted or ruled by sex. They want to use sex to give them something else that they want. It may be pleasure at all costs. It may be simply a way to escape the stress of school or work. It may be that it's easier to live in a fantasy world uh, where real people don't give us grief, where we don't risk the risk of rejection. Uh, it may be that we get involved with the wrong people because we just we want somebody to accept us and somebody to love us. And so sex is just kind of the idol we turn to and we bow to to get what we're really after. Uh, the psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. But as David Paulson puts it, many of us are saying, after I have walked through that God-forsaken valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because the photograph of a surgically enhanced female wearing no clothes is with me. And then he says, a false refuge looks pretty silly when exposed for what it really is. We, we bow down to our idols thinking they are going to give us what we want but they never do and our, we, we worship these idols and we wind up enslaved to them and the pleasure that we think we're going to get there is always it's just a little bit out of reach I heard Chris Rock uh, say recently he was talking about how his, he had just messed up his marriage through affairs and pornography and he said I was addicted to porn when you watch too much porn you know what happens you become like sexually autistic You develop sexual autism. You have a hard time with eye contact and verbal cues. 
you get desensitized. When you start watching porn, any porn will do. Then later on, you're all messed up and you need a perfect porn cocktail. Which Chris Rock would actually agree with C.S. Lewis, oddly enough, uh, who, who says that in addictions, we develop an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. An ever-increasing craving. We want it more and more, but the pleasure that it gives us is less and less and less. The idol of sex never delivers on what it promises you. You'll always find yourself wanting more and more. Just one more time and then, then it's going to be okay. We bow to idols thinking they're going to give us what we want, but instead they bring us further and further into slavery. And you can say that about, you can say that about lying. Uh, Paul says, do not lie to each other. Why do we lie? We crave comfort or approval or power or control and we find ourselves lying and then one more time and then one more time and then one more time. Well, let's go a little bit deeper here. I know this is a little bit long today and note-taking people are, you're going to like this part. Um, but I want to really kind of get practical about how we root idols out of our lives. So, so five things. Number one, you have to find them. Right? you you got to find them. How do you find them? Well, there are a lot of good questions you can ask to start trying to figure out what your idols are. And I'm just going to give you four to think about. Uh, one is ask yourself, what do, I, what do I worry about the most? What do I find myself worrying about the most? Number two, what do I rely on to comfort myself when things go badly? Where do I turn for comfort when things are going poorly or, or, or when I'm stressed out? Number three, what do I think most easily about? Like when you got nothing going on or when you just, you're going to bed at night, where does your mind most naturally go? And then fourthly, what prayer unanswered would make you seriously think about walking away from God? If God didn't answer that prayer. And the answers of those questions can go a long way to pointing you to what some of your idols are. But then there's a second thing we need to do. Because we all have surface idols and then we have deeper idols. And we need to learn to look beyond the surface idol and begin to figure out what the deeper idol is driving that. For example, uh, you may have just figured out that food is an obvious idol for you. And that you look to food for comfort when you're bored or, or when you're stressed or whatever. And so your, your near idol would be food and your deeper idol would be Comfort that I, I'm going to get comfort however I, I can find it. Uh, sex may be the near idol, but the far deeper idol may be pleasure or power or approval. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, what's really going on here? You know, um, why do I spend so much time obsessing over my appearance and obsessing over the photographs that I post online? Well, it's it's because. I want to be beautiful. Well, why do I want to be beautiful? Well, maybe it's because I desperately want to be accepted. And this is the way I figured out that I can be accepted. And so what's driving all that behavior is underneath this need for acceptance. All right, number three, we need to repent. So we look for the idol. We look for the idol underneath the idol. We repent. God, I... I've sinned against you and made something other than you my treasure. 
you're not enough. You haven't been beautiful enough for me. You haven't been sweet enough for me. You're negotiable, but this idol hasn't been. And so we repent. So we look for the idol, look for the idol underneath the idol. We repent. Number four, we need to start working on destroying the attractiveness of the idol. Or a shorter way to write this down might be we need to unmask the idol. We need to see the idol for what it really is and see it for the way it actually harms us. Uh, David Foster Wallace, pretty famous um, graduation speech at Kenyon College uh, a few years ago, was was actually talking about idols. Uh, and, And he was saying how we get addicted to things unless we actually worship God. And God for him was kind of any God. But he's he's on the right path because he he basically says anything else you worship other than God will eat you alive. Anything you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you and so you kind of have to look at these things that you worship and say you're you're really not going to do for me what you're saying you're going to do for me in fact you're going to do the opposite and then fifthly and finally we have to learn to turn to the one who can give us what we truly need um yeah we are we're broken people right and this is a broken world and we're looking for ways to fix that to make, to make things tolerable. And, and we'll blame everything. Uh, try anything. Trying to fix that. When the real problem is our broken relationship with God. Like, that's what's underneath it all. And so this begins, if you've never done this, by turning to faith in Jesus. And finding wholeness and forgiveness in Him. Uh, because He's the one that can restore our relationship to God. And then after having turned to Him... We have to learn those moments when we're desperate for control and we're trying to feed that idol. We have to turn to our God who is in control of the entire universe and learn to trust in him. And when we are desperate for comfort, we have to learn to turn to the scriptures, turn to the Psalms, use them to turn to our God who is the true source of comfort. And when we crave pleasure... We have to turn to the one at whose right hands we are told there are pleasures forevermore. The only real real source of joy, lasting joy in the universe. And when we're desperate for approval and acceptance, we need to run back to the gospel and hear that I am incredibly loved. And I am perfectly accepted by the Father in Jesus Christ. When we need love, we need to run back to the one who loved us so much that he gave his life for us. See, at the end of the day, the solution to our idolatry problem is the gospel. You and I have got to see how much Jesus loves us. If we want to make progress against sexual immorality and lying and coveting and whatever it is, we've got to see that Jesus is wonderful. And Jesus is good and be drawn to him. See, our love for our idols has got to be cast aside by greater love for Jesus at the end of the day. 
And the only way we develop that greater love for Jesus is if we are gripped by how much He loves us. If we see in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our idolatry, in the midst of our stumbling, that He willingly came and gave Himself for us. That's what transforms our hearts. That's what transforms who we are. Uh, See, at the end of the day, the only way we stop dressing in our old clothes is to see who we are in Christ. Forgiven and loved and accepted and cleansed by God Himself. And when you see that, when you see that, when you begin to say, this is who I am. I'm not that person anymore. Then you'll be able to say, I don't need these old clothes. They don't fit me anymore anyway. Well, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the morning and for this text. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would use this in our hearts and in our lives, that it might be a useful way to to spur us on to think about the idols that we carry around um, and that we might actually begin to, to dig in and to see what's driving those Uh, And to turn away from these idols and to turn to you to supply what it is that we truly need. We pray all in Jesus' name. Amen.